0: This is the Portland Firefighters Association Senior Firefighter Podcast. I'm Joseph Keenist. In this series, I host high-performing Portland Fire and Rescue members who talk about their insights, experiences, and lessons learned. In the American Fire Service, these men and women have historically been known as the senior firefighter or the senior man. What makes a senior man? As my guests demonstrate, it has nothing to do with time on the job, rank, or gender. And everything to do with a winning mindset, technical mastery, character, and a commitment to self improvement and mentorship. These long form conversations are far ranging, but center around two core themes the roles and responsibilities of senior firefighters and the dynamics of mental performance on the fireground. This project would not be possible without the help of Kyle McLowry, and thank you to Local 43 for providing the recording equipment and studio. Without further introduction, Let's start the conversation. All right, let's get started. You ready? It's
1: rolling. roll. are good.
0: All right, today we got Mike Sheridan. Mike, thanks for being here, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you Where did you grow up?
2: Uh, New York. My whole family's from the Bronx. I uh, we everybody started to kind of leave. Uh, Leave the Bronx in the 70s and 80s, and kind of scatter about the Boston area, Queens, Long Island. That's kind of where I ended up growing up. And uh, yeah, my whole both sides of my family are all from New York. And yeah, I really didn't have any uh, ambitions at all to go into the fire service. I was I was I was going to art school, and my I came from a family of cops, and they really wanted me to go down that road, and I wasn't really interested in it, and. So, taking a civil service test was a compromise for my father. Being like, "Well, if you're going to go to art school, pretty much means you're going to be unemployed the rest of your life. If you take one civil <laughs> service test, then at least I can sleep at night." Fair enough. Yeah. So it was either sanitation or fire department. So I chose the fire department. Yeah.
0: What was the what was your art interest in art?
2: I was going to be a painter, Joseph. Yeah. Mm, hell yeah. 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 That, and that was
0: after <laughs> that was was the art school after high school then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I, yeah, ask, can I, I was, ask
0: what school it was?
2: Um, well, I, I, I applied to all the, the big, like Pratt, uh-huh. and, I, and uh-huh. I just couldn't, we couldn't afford any Got of them. So I ended up yeah. just going to a state school. Got it. We'll that, it a could, yeah, that Yeah, that had a good art program. Nice. Uh,
0: so this is what, when? Like, what
2: year did you graduate from high school? 90. 1990, okay. yeah. All right. I don't know if you know, but I am not a famous painter. <laughs> I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> is that a thing? I never really. I, would, uh, yeah, I mean, a, it is for some, okay, not for this guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, not for this guy. Uh, no, not, so, not yet. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, no, it was, um, yeah, so I, I really had no interest in the fire department. Um, I worked construction as a teenager and all through college. And, but then the more, you know, the, the, the older I got, you know, living in the city, the more, the more firemen I met, everybody had the same story. Every single time I ran into a group of FDNY guys in a bar and I'd be like, Hey, and start chatting with them. Hey, I'm on the, th- you know, because the testing process out there was so long. I think I took the written exam in 90. It was right around 1990. And then, and then I didn't get hired until 97.
0: Okay. And my oh.
2: brother-in-law, we took the same test. He didn't get hired until 2000 on the same list. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, they just space everything out really. So, I mean, I was mm. in the process for years wow. and by the time it actually came for me to get called, I had been working as an artist for three years and, and it was, I was in a cubicle and it was miserable. And, mm, yeah. uh, and I was really excited about the job. So it just right. took like lots of conversations and every single person that I met was like, this is, they said the same thing. Like, it's the greatest job in the world. It's better than winning the lottery. They seemed they were the happiest group of people in mm-hmm. every pub that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is happening here? How are these guys so excited about this job? When everybody else is like, Oh fuck, it's Sunday, I gotta go to work tomorrow, this sucks. Yeah. They were, they were the opposite of that. Every single time. And then so the more the more I got it was exposed to that culture, the more I was like, I, I need to see what this is all about.
0: Yeah. So seven years passed between the time that you tested approximately yeah. Between the time you tested yep. and the time you picked up. And then your interest in the job only increased. And I increased. had a
2: decent score. You know? <laughs> like, wow. I had like a 98 on the written, I, I crushed everything else. And then I got five points residency credits because they were doing an incentive to hire people Damn. from the city. Yeah. So I, lived, I, you know, my zip code qualified for like five points, like inner city residency wow. credits. So I had that added. So I had like a hundred and. It was like actually ninety and a quarter in my written, so I ended up plus five. Uh-huh. And I was still like just over a 1,000 on the list. Wow. But um, it,
0: So was it a period of just slow hiring? Or is that was that pretty normal?
2: Uh, I, gap- you know, I'm not really sure. Like through the, the history, like I would compare to other times. Uh, but back then it was normal. It was, it was hard to get that job. Yeah. yeah. For the long time. It was, it was a very competitive job, and, and it was tough to get.
0: Okay. Even in a department that size. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what was that experience like? You get hired, and what is yeah. That?
2: So I got I <clears throat> so I got hired. I went to the academy, and it was it was like nothing I had ever experienced before. You know, and I played sports growing up, and I'm I'm comfortable on job sites, and I know how to work and yeah. tools. But it was nothing that I had ever been exposed to. Um, just the culture was so strong, and I had 128 guys in my class, 13 um, week academy, and it's just you just all in from day one. I mean, it is, and it's all run by DIs from Paris Island. So, uh, yeah. So these guys who were, you know, who are FDNY guys who were also DIs, you know, in the Corps, And then now they just run the rock. And, uh, and so the first three days you learn that, you know, they break you up into two platoons, three squads per platoon. And if you weren't in the military, you learn how to, how to march how to you know how to move as a group how to everything you know how to stand at attention parade rest and, and you, at the time you're like what does this all mean and then after the amount of line of duty funerals i went to i was like okay this is all this yeah. is a huge part of this job
0: so there's a military bearing component very yeah.
2: much so and oh, then every morning yeah. you know you're standing out there in your dress uniform in your squad full inspection run in get your pt gear on get back out there i mean you do everything as a squad or platoon um it's just very intense but it was incredible i mean the experience was was unbelievable very very paramilitary Mm -hmm. did your cops in your
0: family when you were growing up i mean was that something that was familiar to you that that mindset or was it was it a shock
2: it it was shocking and and i'm actually from like i'm the first also first non-combat Military. My dad wanted me to go to college. I was I wanted to go into the service for a time, and he he he's a Vietnam vet, and he was very adamant about me going to school. Um, but no, they're not. They're they're all vets, but they weren't like hyper militarized yeah. in the home. If that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was a shock to me. I mean, especially because I was at art school. You can imagine that was a little different, a little bit, just a little bit. Better shave that lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> But anyhow, it was, uh, it was great. It was, so that was, ended up being everything that it was promised and then, and a hundred times more. I mean, the culture, I just ate it up. It was, it was, uh, I still haven't really experienced anything like it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Portland's got a great culture as well. It's just very different than that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll get into that in a little bit. I'm sure that was a shock to come here. So wh- after you finished their training program, where did you end up working in the city?
2: I got hired at uh, 42 Engine, which was at the time was the number one, the busiest fire, single engine in the Bronx. Fire, uh, they have every year, they release all the numbers. And the occupied structural workers is the amount of time you spent. You know at fires and occupied structure fire uh, buildings and 42 is number one engine in the city and i was lucky enough to go there only because my best friend carrie her dad dennis devlin uh was a captain in the neighboring firehouse it was uh-huh. the, the fdny's animal house 75 and 33 in the bronx and uh and he uh got me in there and he was, he was one of my mentors and he was a battalion chief. He was actually killed on September 11th. Great, great man. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but he got me in 42 and I'm forever grateful because that is a tremendous firehouse. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like first years on the job? Great. So I went there with two other guys, me and two other dudes from my class went there at the same time. And then, uh, and then another another feller, Louie, went to 44 Truck, and they were in quarters with us only because they were getting their quarters redone. And then another tremendous ladder company from the South Bronx. Uh, and so the four of us just showed up, you know, those drugs. Because you get assigned in probie school, like mm-hmm. you're sitting there mm-hmm. and they read through everybody's name and tell you where you're going. Okay. Yeah. And and that's we can talk about that as one of the what I see is one of the challenges we have as an organization in Portland moving forward in the future if we're trying to cultivate something and really, really cultivate something out of our younger folks to not just show up and, you know, show them. We don't have the same investment in them when they're coming yeah. out of training because they're just kind of in the wind. Right? right. And that is very, that is a huge piece that is different. Like when we walked in the door, I'm a 42 guy and the amount of company pride they have, there is no, if you, it's just like somebody walking and being like, Hey, I'm your new ones guy. Yeah. You're not going to ignore that kid. Yes. You're going to be like, "Oh, you are? Okay, well then get over here. I'm going to show you how to walk. I'm going to show you how to talk. Uh-huh. I'm going to show you where to sit, <laughs> yeah. what to wear. We're going to start from scratch and we're going to build. But yeah. when you walk in the door, you do. You put your bag here, you do this, you do that. I mean, it is like, you, you're not left alone yes. for a minute. And it's overwhelming, but at the same time, it's it's it, there's so much love in it and there's so much, uh, I don't even know what the word is. So, so, you're in you, the you, you feel yeah. 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 yeah you feel like a part you're a part of something that's that's bigger than yourself yeah. that has a lot of history and then you see the way these people interact and how much they love each other and you're like wow I feel I feel incredibly grateful to be a part of this thing please tell me what to do because yeah. I have no idea what yeah somebody's right. somebody's <laughs>
0: looking out for you yeah 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 that was would, would, <laughs> we, I'm sorry no, no please go would
1: folks tend to uh, like go to a lot of 42 or is it engine 42 mm-hmm Stay there for quite a long time. What would, what would oh, that? Oh yeah. So that's an identity, and you're brought it into the family. So that culture there would be much more a lasting. One, I'm just trying to draw a difference from from here, where people do move around quite a bit. That was not how it was, at least back when you. No, wrote. no,
2: okay. people stay put for the most part, unless you know, especially a place like that. It was it was busy. It was respected, unless you you had a. Uh, unless you wanted to promote or you wanted to go to right. a truck. Those are the two reasons people laughed, right? Some guys wanted to promote just like here yeah. and it's a single engine. So if they wanted to go to a truck, then they would okay. usually put in for a truck in the neighborhood that you work with, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah, most of And it was very, very senior company. Like, you know, it was very, very often. It would be like the next junior guy would have 18 years on and then it would be me, yeah. you know, which I loved. Yeah. It was phenomenal.
0: So the, the training experience that you got, and then when you transitioned to the engine company, was the experiences you were having operating at fires was it similar to the training that you received yeah at randall's island or was it mm-hmm. okay
2: yeah it was very much so so the training there so we there there we have a it's just a lot of things but like th- there they, they, they've um basically much like our high-rise we have their pre-assignments yeah essentially <clears throat> for a first on fires and And so you learn, mostly what you learn about in the academy is you learn, you're just like we're kind of moving to occupancy-based assignments, right? It's like, I'm the second-do OV on a taxpayer. I'm going to bring this tool. I'm going to go around back. I'm 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 going to bring these. I'm going to do this. I'm going to meet up with the first two OV. You know, and you just have to know, I'm sitting in the seat. This is the occupants. This is where it is. And this is it's not how I'm going to do all those things. It's just like, these are my tools. These are my assignments yeah. and I'm and I'm off to the races. Sure. And very similar for the, for the, you know, there's no pre connects in on any of the rigs there. So it's all bulk, just, just a huge bed of, you know, two and a half an inch, three quarter. Mm-hmm. And you learn how to stretch basically what we, you know, would call the bulk load yep. and that's all anybody uses. Um, and so you work on those skills and then you get out in the companies and then you just,
0: it was the same thing. There wasn't a, necessarily much of a disconnect in the tactics between, or how you're supposed to do stuff between training and.
2: No, it was it was exactly it was very much the same. And then yeah. you just but it was very much the basics. And then when you get out to the firehouse, that's where you really learn because you can learn, there's only so much you can teach. Thirteen, 128 guys in 13 weeks. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get out to the companies, that is where you're. Con- that's part of that constant. You know always you know out on the rig every time you go on the MS, anyway. look at this building go over here check this out i mean you know i worked in the bronx these huge h-type tenement buildings and then off the grand concourse it just drops off so you have all these like big giant h-time tenements that you're walking on the you walking in, the, you walk in the, off the concourse on the sixth floor yeah. mm-hmm. you know so you're on the sixth story just walking in on the ground level very complicated very tricky very you know stretching hose different stairwells that don't that don't yes. serve every part of the building so it's just a lot of education about that area mm-hmm. right and this yeah. is how we do things here um and then i'm and you go out to queens right where i kind of lived and it was more houses kind of stuffed together yeah. very different tactics very the basics are the same but the way they do business is a little different right
0: yeah sure did they do truck operations in training hmm yeah a okay. lot
2: well, guys just got signed to trucks right out of training okay. Mm-hmm. yeah so the same thing you learned your assignments and then when you get to the firehouse um and you're a pro on the truck you're in the can seat and you got the can in the hook and you're attached to the officer's hip and you go aloft with the with the engine with the engine so you when know, you get something the engine boss goes aloft with the truck boss the irons and the can yeah and then the can the engine boss is kind of scoping out bird dogging for the engine and then the uh Uh, the inside team goes up you know just similar to what we're doing now with our center hallway stuff right Mm -hmm. and then the but the irons and the can kind of splits after they force the door and then the can typically sticks with the officer until he feels like he can kind of let him go a little bit and then when you graduate from that position you'll go to the irons you learn that trade and you'll be there until everybody every senior guy checks you off and Mm -hmm. says yep kyle's he's crushing it we had we caught some good work he's been doing really good then they'll give him the roof because that's the first time you're operating by yourself teach you how to go to the roof alone and give a roof report, which is really huge in those big buildings. Cause you're the only one who's going to be able to get eyes on all those different parts. And then the final piece is the, on the back step is EOV. And that's usually the senior guy's position. And then the chauffeur is a different, that's the senior, senior guy. Usually they have a seat, like they just drive most of the time there'll be backup chauffeurs in case they get sick. But usually on the engine and the truck, those senior, senior guys just drive. That's their position.
0: Yeah. Is that a tested position or like a. Uh, No, it's just kind of you get to a point when they're
2: like, okay, listen, we need, we're getting short on chauffeurs. We need, we need you to go to chauffeur school. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's, I mean, it sounds like from the beginning, you're attached to somebody right off the bat. Yeah. The officer first. And then everybody's looking out for you you on the fire. Yeah. Make Mm -hmm. sure you're doing it right, learning, moving up. Hmm. And you got some good fires in that. In, yeah, it was in great. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it was, it was it was fantastic. It was a great experience. I mean, those guys are still some of my best friends. I mean, I rarely go back to New York that we I don't to get together with those those guys and go out dinner and go out, yeah, beers and very very tight community. Yeah, yeah. same thing because we back then there was a rotation, so mm-hmm. people were because can you t- kind of back to your your question about moving. Mm-hmm. There, there's not as much movement out there, and so you know you can imagine you can be. You can be a Mark Schaefer or a Chris Fukai stuck in some place in Staten Island because you didn't you didn't say a word in training and you kept your head down and mm-hmm. nobody ever, mm-hmm. and you ended up at some really slow, not to shit on Staten Island, but you yeah. know. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> i <I'll show you. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm pretty sure nobody's going to listen to this. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, and then it's hard to get out because now you're just a name on a piece of paper and well, you're like, hey, I'm trying, like, trying to go to this place or that place. That my yeah. next question. Yeah. Yeah. So, it. so what they did is they started this rotation program where they, they designated a firehouse in a b and c based on how busy you were mm-hmm. a being the busiest so 42 and then and then b and c and so the idea was you'd go to your firehouse you you fin- do your year there and then you for the next two years you'd hit two other stops and by the end and the fourth year you'd come back to your original stop but at least you had time and it to- you had time in all three mm-hmm. houses right and so you had the chance to prove yourself in one of these A-house, A-companies. So if you wanted to go back there, you'd be like, oh, yeah, Joseph, we you love that guy. Yeah. Let's get him back here. Uh, the firehouses hated it. Right, because for, cause they, they don't like new people coming yep. and going they yep. like, they're like like nope this is our and now every year they had to and plus they form these super tight bonds yep. and now they're, you're yep. getting ripped away yep. and we're getting some new schmuck that we don't even know like who the fuck is this guy yep. you know there's a lot of that on day one walking oh Jesus Christ and, uh-huh. you know another new just, guy yeah and you're yeah. like well I got four years on and I'm the new guy again you know <laughs> yeah.
0: like what you said to me when I got to 25 to finish my probation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, that
2: did not happen yeah that. yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. but uh, but so I ended up going to 176 Tin House in, uh, in Brooklyn which is f- another phenomenal firehouse that's where John Vigiano worked okay he, and uh, tremendous place wow. and uh, I mean f- so fortunate and again I got that because the battalion, the captain of the engine and the battalion chief from the 4 forwards, guy, uh, John Ivola, was the captain of 42 Engine. And I would fill his beer at parties and I met yeah. him and I worked hard enough to get a that he recognized me. And then when the rotation came around, he's like, I'm going to put you here, right? Wow. And then I ended up going to 8 Truck for my last one down in uh, Tribeca in Lower Manhattan and okay. back to 42. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's great. Very different kind of experience than than Portland. Yes, and I will say, believe me, I'm not one. Of, I'm like I've had a I've had a wonderful experience here, and I certainly don't want to like. I try not to talk about New York too much because I don't want it to seem Course. like I don't because I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the 25 culture has been tremendous for mm-hmm. me. I've let, that is that is a that has been my home away from home since yeah. I've been here, mm-hmm. and I you know I wouldn't I don't take that for granted at all very yeah. fortunate to have those people in my life you yeah. know like kirk schaefer is my northwest papa You know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah well i mean it feels a little strange even to bring it up because it's such a big thing um but you were in new york for 9-11 mm-hmm. on the job can you just briefly talk i mean i don't even know how to ask about no, no, to summarize right. that experience right. you know but um part of just to go back Uh, in case nobody listens to any of the other ones. Um, Part of the idea behind this show and my interest in mental performance comes from, in April of 2022, uh, Grant Kelly, we were doing a, a structural collapse technician class for the new ones guys. And it's a USAR class, so we're learning what we can in the two weeks that we got to do it. And Grant Kelly had the idea of saying like, hey, let's Let's ask Mike if he'd be willing to come in and talk about uh, his experiences at the largest USAR event in our country's history, and talk about what that was like. and And you came in, talked for about half an hour or so, thirty five minutes, and I think what ended up being. Uh, really powerful for everybody in the room was you weren't really talking so much about the details of 9-11 and, and, and tactically what was going on uh, and the specifics of, oh, uh, we did this with these tools in this area and this is what it felt like, but just um, your experience of working and observing different USAR companies from around the globe and what made them successful and what didn't. And for you, uh, you chose to talk about like the importance of mental performance. So can you just talk a little bit about um you were fairly new on the job four years in or so
2: yeah something like that <clears throat> um yeah i was back in for back in the bronx and uh and back I, at
0: engine 42 yeah okay. yeah
2: and i ended up getting uh i got i got knocked on a staircase at a fire just you know like i don't even know what happened but all of a sudden i was in ass over tea kettle down the stairs kind of tweaked my back a little bit so i was out on sick leave mm. for about a week um and then there, we have our own medical office down in Brooklyn, so you, when you go sick, you have, to, you have to, go, to go back full duty, you have to show up at the medical office and get kinda of checked off. So I was, it was that, that morning I was driving down, and when I, from where I was living, I had moved up, uh, at this point I was, I got ma- we got married, and uh, my wife at the time was pregnant with our first son, and uh, so we moved upstate, We moved out of the city. But I was driving down, and to get to to uh, downtown Brooklyn, I had to go right past my old firehouse, a hey, truck. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to, I called, and my buddy Vinny Halloran was working, and I said, oh, I'm going to bring bagels and, you know, show up and have coffee with the fellas, and I hadn't seen him in a, about a year or so. So I popped in, and, you know, was just doing the thing and saying hi and talking shit and all the things we do. Mm-hmm. And then they got called out and ordered a gas in the street. And so i was like all right I'll, i gotta i gotta take off we'll see you you know and they went one way and i went the other and literally when they were on that call is when that first plane hit so and i remember it was funny because i was leaving i saw i passed like 55 engine passed me on canal street and i remember just for whatever reason i remember seeing those guys and sitting on the rig and and then i i was just cresting on the manhattan bridge heading into brooklyn when like all the traffic in mm-hmm. new york stopped People just get out of their car, and I was like, "Well, that's weird. Yeah. It's not something you see every day." And then I looked in my rearview mirror, and I could see the, just the, this plume. And then I remember I called my brother-in-law, and I said, "Hey, I think somebody just bombed the Trade Center again. You better, you know, you're probably going to be. I don't know if you're working, but so then I I went over, and my idea was just get back full duty, get put back full duty, and then you know, and then I was just going to head right back over to a truck and see if like what I could do, or head up back to forty two, and and then when I. Right when I parked the car, I went into the building, the second plane hit. And then there were people started yelling, like, we're under attack. It's a total recall. Yeah. Everybody go back to your firehouse. And it was like, so I jumped in my car and tried to get back over the Manhattan Bridge, but you couldn't because they stopped. It was just gridlocked. It couldn't get in. And then so we ended up finding out there was an emergency. There was a lane for emergency traffic on, like, 59th Street Bridge. Anyway, it was just hard to get. You can imagine, mm-hmm. like, a. blocked yeah. up. So by the time, yeah, by the time we were able to get back down, like both buildings had come down. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up working. I ended up getting hooking up with the guys from my firehouse, and, and then we worked, yeah, just down there for the next few days. And then slowly they started getting organized, and it was like, and then I was part of a task force with my friends from 42 for the first, like, month. And then I just basically stayed down there in different capacities for as long as I could through probably – Doing like GPS for like body, you know, piece, to try to like identify with people. Anytime yeah. someone would have found anything, they'd want to GPS it. Yeah. So you go from like a digging crew to a GPS crew or whatever, and just kind of a lot of the younger guys liked being, wanted to be down there, and <clears throat> it just seemed like the right place to be. You sure. Know? So yeah, so I ended working down there through the holidays and then almost into probably like May. Yeah. Because we finally went back to the firehouse. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like it was yeah, it was a you know, profound experience in all the ways, you know, the brings the best out of people and the worst, you know, yeah. you can imagine. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. For, uh, pertaining to what we were talking about at that at the tech uh that uh with the tech team, the the interesting some of the interesting things that I saw were cuz we, there was people from all over the world, you know, these guys would just show up, you know, you have yeah. like rolling O's and some some crew from LA that looks like there's some SWAT team that look like Navy SEAL Team <laughs> yeah. 6 comes walking up and Very they're like tactical. put us to work and I'm like you're talking to the wrong guy and I don't even know what I'm doing here uh, but I, you know I, I hooked up a lot of my buddies a lot of my Brooklyn friends all backfield rescue too a lot of those 176 10 house guys all went over to rescue too and those guys were all my really good friends like Fowler, John Fowler and Danny Murphy and Tom Daly and those guys all um, and so Through them, I was able to kind of like, you know, kind of like, you know, try to be in a support role, you know, whatever. I got eyes on a lot of what they were doing. It was interesting because I got to see all these tech teams kind of operating. And there were some of them which just seemed crippled with trying to make this incredibly unstable pile a safe place to work. Um, And then there were other teams. And I always think about Mexico City who showed up with, like, nothing. They yeah. had, like, mm-hmm. a piece of dirty rope, mm-hmm. like a knife in their teeth and, like, a <laughs> flashlight and just diving in the holes like gophers, just popping up all over the place, yeah. you know. Um, and it was just really interesting yeah. to see how the different approach from these different teams, you know. And I, I don't have that background, and I'm not a technical person even by nature, yeah. so I'm not saying in a judgmental way. But it was definitely telling, you know. I could see some of our guys were getting frustrated with some of the other teams. Were like, "Hey, at some point we have to fucking engage here. We got you got yes. to get down in the hole, Yeah. you know, kind of thing."
0: Yeah, for sure. So, after that, how long were you working in New York before you left?
2: So I left in 'o five. Okay. Uh, officially, and uh, yeah, so my 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 uh, son's mother. It was a tough, we had a tough, it was a tough, we just started off. it was a tough time. Yeah. It was like we were just married, she was pregnant, and then I, I disappeared. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame her one bit, right? I was gone for a lot. And when I was home, I probably wasn't all that there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so she she wanted to go back out west. And so that was, I started trying to get my head around that, doing that. Uh, so we ended up leaving in, 0, I ended up technically leaving the job in 05, started kind of going out to portland and spending time and um you know and i loved it the portland was a great town and i was like and i will say like the meeting all those all the, the uh, firemen from all over the world definitely opened my eyes to like wow these guys are great you know this dude's from london this guy's yeah. from the midwest this mm-hmm. dude from canada from all over the place and they all it's kind of the same person everywhere mm-hmm. you go yeah mm-hmm. and i was really comforting and being like, okay. Um, but then, right when I was leaving, my my firehouse had a particularly rough time right then, which gave which was really hard. It was uh, we had the Black Sunday fire. Forty two was first into that, and then uh, and that was right after I left. And then we lost Howie Carpluck was our lieutenant, and he he was our he was our leader. We adore that man, and uh, so it was, I, I ended up leaving at a really really rough time on top of all that. So I had a, you know, it was it was really hard. A lot of guilt. So when I by the time I got out of here, I didn't really even want to do the job anymore. Yeah. And it wasn't because I didn't love it. It was just because I couldn't see starting over. Of course. Yeah. And and I and I tested as a backup thing, but then I just kind of kept deferring, and uh, and then I it, it took me about a year and a half of playing music and swinging a hammer and dealing with like shithead bar managers and <laughs> and you know and to to miss. The caliber of people that i used to get to work with yeah and then i ended up taking that emt class mm-hmm. you were in that class yep. with us yep. and then that's where it was like tim spring and joe wilkes and jesse Robinson mm-hmm. and luke St- I mean, just all jared miller all these great great guys people yeah. and we were all like wow these these are tremendous love these dudes mm-hmm. uh and then i was like okay this is this is a good thing and then yeah. i got serious about getting hired okay
0: and that was an EMT class like you were getting your EMT.
2: They used to be like two lists, like a trainee list oh yeah sure yeah and so we were Yay. on the trainee list I got gotcha. you which I got <laughs> I got I was ahead. gonna say uh, <laughs> well dude. I got 4K hooked me up. I don't want to sell him out no, actually I don't remember his name it was a chief was okay, a, uh, he, was he was a vertically challenged chief but he uh I, well, I just walked into the West wing I think he was a captain at the time and I was just like, hey. You know, I'm from New York. I'm, I think I might try to get hired here. Blah blah blah, and he's like, "Are you an EMT?" And I said, "No, I'm a I'm a, a CFR, which is the same thing basically. But but I'm not in Oregon. I'm not in an Oregon. Um, anyway, he's like, "All right, let me figure this out." And so and then he called me and he was like, "Yeah, you get on this trainee list, and just don't even mention that you don't have, that you have experience and just because you don't have your EMT, and then we'll pay you to get it, mm. and then you'll go on this unranked trainee list." Yeah. And I just went there. And down. then
0: magically, you might get a job. Off and the magic- unranked, yeah, yeah. Unranked oh, yeah. get a List. Exactly. Okay. You go through the, what, I mean, what was that like? Coming from the experiences that you had and then showing, I mean, obviously you talked about you were with a great group of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: It, well, it, 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 well, it was just so different. I mean, I had like, yeah. then I had 12, like, right. You, guy was just ahead of me. Mm-hmm. A couple, right. But you had, you know, I went from over 128 to like. I think we started out with 12, yeah. ended up with like 9 at the end. Okay. Um but the guys were great. I mean, the guys I was with were awesome, you know. I mean, I yes. loved, loved them and we had a we had a lot of fun together and uh who were your trainers in TAC? Dawkins, Terry Kimmons, Gonnerman was the captain. Mm-hmm. Was Walknick over there? Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he was in the west wing I think, yeah. right? The training yeah. cap or was he at TAC?
2: He was attacked TAC oh, when I was Oh, okay. There. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't love the training program, not going to lie. Yeah. Station 2, I was great. I, I had Cruiser and Keyran. Those guys, were, Foxy was my lieutenant. Awesome. Uh, those guys were great. I really enjoyed, like the 2s thing for me was a lot more, obviously, for most of us, was more fun. Yeah. TAC now has come a long way, I think, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah, but like doing a long stretch over dry pavement for three weeks in a row is just <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, mind-numbing, you know.
0: Uh, I think you told me a story one time when we were working together at 25 when I was on probation that I was like, oh, what, what was that like coming here after, you know, your previous experiences? And I think what you said was you were pulling one of the Blue Shed engines out of the building, got about halfway out and stopped. <laughs>
2: What's the rest of that story? Yeah, no, I, did, I think I did that a lot. I would just pull out in the morning, and it would be cold as hell, and I'd be able to just feel like, and I put my head down. I just, I read this little mantra, I just talked about just getting through the day. Just get through the day. I did in the shower two in the morning. I'm just like, you don't have to get through this whole program. You just have to get through today. Yeah. That's it.
0: Maybe one of the hardest things you ever do. That's
2: all you got to do is get through today. The and then once you have a certain amount of days under your belt, then it's just, then like, you're in the pro, momentum. You know, yeah, yeah.
0: it's easy. Like, right, well, it'd be more pain in the ass to quit now, though. Yeah yeah
2: yeah that was I was scared of getting fired man I had I had a guy in my class who who got recycled and his whole thing was the worst thing you can do is get labeled as being unsafe mm. so they will fire you in a heartbeat you're. and I was so I was terrified of like getting of doing anything because I didn't want to be like well is that going to be considered unsafe Dude. is that going to be considered unsafe yeah you it- know so I was just like I don't want to Tell me what you tell me exactly what you want me to see me to do. Yeah, see what you want to what you want to see me do, and then I'll do it. Yeah. That
0: yeah, We talked. I mean, that came up. That's come up a few times. Like uh, that, there are certain dynamics in the training program that, especially from that era, that uh, compel people to do no thing rather than the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. And then so it sort of creates like a habit of well, I'm going to hang. I'm going to hang back and see how this plays out. And then people that are willing to take risks and, and fail and try again and fail and try again, it sort of, like, it kills that mindset. In a yeah. Way. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to get, you know, stick my head up above everybody else, because then I'll just get smashed down. Yeah. Well, there, the whole, the whole uh,
1: mantra is stay off the radar.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the gray man, like the, a covey of quail. As soon as one quail, like, flies out yeah. of the out of the flock, then they get shot out of the air. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can... So that remind what you just said reminds me of that absolutely that feeling and we all had it. Yep. I mean, we all had that feeling. It wasn't that if you made a mistake, it wasn't gonna be like, "Hey, come over here. I want to show you the mistake that you made and why we can't make it." It's just, "Hey, you're what? are you doing, you idiot?" Yep. And don't do that anymore.
2: Which is why, which is when, with my time that I was in with training, I wanted one of the biggest things I wanted to get rid of was the idea of a critical fail. Yeah. people was like, well, "Well, tell me what the critical fails are," and right. it's just like. I'm not gonna say that there aren't things that are gonna you're gonna fail for, but I hate that idea of what are the critics. If you do this one thing, right. then that's it. There's no there's 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 no coming back. There's no coming back from
0: it. Well, it doesn't translate to the fireground in any sense. Right. The idea that you do this thing and then the whole thing is over. You you do a horrendous thing on the fireground. You you have to pivot from that. Yeah, yes. You, you you still have to perform your duties and and win at the end of the day. Exactly. So yeah, there were. I think there were. Um, yeah, so those. So that was tech. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it, yeah, was it, was, tech. it was It was, it was, it was the. It was a yeah, it was long. The 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 amount of like studying and testing was blew me away. Right, I mean, I hadn't been in school in a long time. I don't know if you can really call art school college either. Yeah, you can I paint I mean? the answers? <laughs> yeah. yeah, let me show you a picture of what the low angle road picture looked like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was that was tough. Having kids at home and, you know, and trying to keep a family live in a new place and try to keep, you know, things good on the home front and that was that was a lot. That was a lot of a lot of, uh, it was disorienting. Yeah. The amount of like studying and and test, uh, written tests there were. I would have liked to have seen a more vigorous stroll ground kind of scenario and maybe lessen up on the, on the written exams. Like, you know, do I really need to know the size of every water main in the city of Portland? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Um, but I get it on some level. It's like, how bad do you want to be here? You know, some things I will say about Portland's program that's is in like in New York, you get sworn into the union. There's like a tradition. I think you pay like a dime. I want to say, and then you get sworn into the union on the day on the first day of proby school. So if something happens, you are, you're already under the umbrella. Mm. And like, I don't, I'm not, I like how we Portland was not afraid to let people go. Like I was, I respected the hell out of it. I was like, yeah. and they let a lot of people in my group go. Yeah. And I was like, all right, you guys are, you're not fucking around. Like you're not yeah. afraid to let people go. And that's, to me, that's not a bad thing.
0: No, it's not a bad thing. As long as the people making those evaluations are making them for the right reasons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yep, yeah. Absolutely. You, I know you wouldn't be suggesting anything yeah. otherwise, but <laughs> it also means that those people know what they're looking at yeah. and have those skills themselves. Mm-hmm. So it, I at mean, station two, I guess I'm interested in one of the things we've been talking a lot on the show is about the dichotomy between what you learn in training or what you don't learn in training. And mm-hmm. then having a realization at some point down the road that like, oh, I I didn't actually learn, tactically even, what it takes to be successful in this job. So I'm curious, uh, comparing your experience, like when you're going through station two and like, well, when are we going to talk about forcible entry? When are we going to talk about, you know, like what are, what does the truck do when we arrive and what am I going to be doing?
2: So, yeah. So that was, um, I think we've come a really, really long way since, those, since that time. Um, and there's, you know, Amy has a, plays a huge role in that. Yes. Just a lot of people can take credit for carrying the ball some amount of yards in, right? In that, yeah. um, the coordination piece for me was the biggest thing because there was everything. In, in New York was about coordination, coordination, coordination. Everything was about it. Um, coordinating, getting the hand line, working with the inside truck team. Yeah. You know, we are in primary search mode, so when that mm-hmm. door pops open, I remember I had like, Danny Murphy was a legendary guy, Was my he was a truck boss, for, um, and I we, we, we had a double, we had, we, it was one of my, the best days I ever had. We had two runs all day, and they were both first <laughs> in. It was, it was just a great day. <laughs> yeah. and, uh but I remember I had the nozzle and, uh, Tommy Dolan took the door and we kicked it and we went in and I moved in and I had the line. I opened it up and opened it. And Danny grabbed me to he stop. He's like, shut it down. And he was like, listen, he's like, calm down. He's like, find the fire, open it up, turn it off like a switch. Let us get our job done. You just sit there and just like, talk to me through yeah. this. Isn't just about you not, you know, hitting every ember. This is about us getting the search done. And you know, and I never forgot that it was one of the best lessons to this day that I've never forgotten. And the way he taught it to me in that moment yeah. was very powerful.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, he wasn't mad at me. He wasn't talking. You know, he was just, he was, he was truly being a mentor, right? Yeah. Teaching me how to do the job. Right. Um, and there was none of that. It was like when I went through, when we went through uh, originally, there was none of, it was just like, here are these tasks. They're all mutually exclusive. We're not, we're not, we're not giving an importance to any one of them. They're just, you got to know how to, you got to be able to cut a hole. You got to be able to do this. You got to be able to do that. You got to be able to do that. You can get on the fire ground. Someone's going to tell you to do it and then do it. And there's not a consideration for how my job affects your job and how your job affects your job and what the overall priorities of the scene are. Um, And that was the huge missing piece when I was going through. It just was like just random skills. Yep. And then and go, 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 rush, rush, rush. As fast, fast as off, you can. On. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was disorienting for me. I was like, this is hard. I don't know how to, mm-hmm. how to do this because it's flying in the face of everything that I, that I just learned. But I, I want this job. So <laughs> yeah. how fast do I have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, it's what you do.
0: Did you get any fires at twos?
2: yeah we had a couple of jobs at twos were, i can't remember the details of them but they were all right um yeah i think so I don't yeah know. yeah
0: yeah nothing memorable
2: nothing yeah, really I'm sticks old. out 51 <laughs> <I never laughs> isn't there like it used to be no i mean yeah, nothing too crazy. we had yeah we had a precision cast parts fire that was i guess i remember that one more probably because because I, I spent most of my career at 25s yeah um mm-hmm. And that was pretty interesting because just because the environment is such a strange place yes, to work in, you know. Did
0: you have any experiences at Station 2 with, I mean, where it felt like this, whoever the senior members were, had where you had a relationship with them, where they were showing you what to do? And, oh, yeah. and not just from the perspective of like, I think it's that scenario you're just talking about with that fire um, in New York. Uh, somebody actually showing you like showing you what to do and that concept of like see one do one teach one i don't remember seeing any skills at TAC or station two i think i remember seeing like somebody wrap a hydrant with the lay in line you know and then oh, this I is what, what we seeing, want and yeah. then from that point it's just criticizing what you're you know not necessarily in a bad way just like adjusting what your behavior is mm-hmm. um and then at twos i don't i don't remember any firefighters demonstrating a skill like this is how we're going to move through this space. This is how I'm going to feel this furniture for victims. This is this is what it looks like to force a door. Right. Um, I guess I'm just curious if if you had any experiences like that where uh, people um, were showing you what to do and then you know developing that relationship of like I'm somebody that you can come to.
2: Not as you- much I wouldn't say at Station Two. Like I think I think at my at Station Two were great. Um, yeah. Like I really enjoyed working with them. I didn't really have any problems. It was a couple of them that. But- we don't need to go down that road. But the majority of them were really were good. Uh, some of them were great. Like, Cruiser was awesome. Ran, I thought, was just such a gentleman. And yeah. just a, he was just a really nice man. And, you know, you really felt like he was in your corner. Um, you know, Rob has just had all kind of knowledge that... Yeah. Just like, I don't know what, what you do on your spare time, but you know <laughs> way more about the world than I do. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Specifically, I think, I think it was... I think in that, the, the in that old model we had, you learned most of that stuff from like your senior class, right? You had like, we had that overlapping class yeah, thing. Did yeah. you have that too? Oh, for sure. And so like, your yeah, senior, they got
0: three months more than you do. Why yeah. wouldn't they teach you how to <laughs> exactly. do it?
2: Exactly. And it was like, and it was like, that's, this is how they want to see this done. This is, that yeah. was how I was always presented to you. Right? right. This is how they want to see this done. This is how they want to see this done. Yeah. Um, and I think that's most of that has gone away now. I think well, I think what I see now with a lot of the people that are out there are doing yes what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's outstanding. Yeah, and yeah. I know
2: Jim. When I saw Jesse was out the, you know, Jesse was a, he's got a master's degree in education. And I know he was like he was out there teaching, like just like you said. This is how I want this to look. This is how it's supposed to look. Yeah. Uh, and you know, modeling that. Right. You know, he did a really good job of that. Yeah. And,
0: you know, to, like to touch on that dynamic, like we don't want to go down that road. I mean, something that we've been talking about here is that people really of you know, it's like you watch a video of wh- whatever it is, like operating at a fire, somebody attempting to force a door and can't. Or, you know, they're doing a rope drill and it goes totally sideways. Like, I mean, we look at those things not as a reason to blow up that department or that individual, but just to highlight that, you know, there is another way to do it. And that I honestly believe that all of those horror stories, I think they're just emulating the behavior that they were taught. If they went through training at a time when, um, you know, then that's, that's how that's how they were treated, then that's how they're going to treat other people. Yeah. And that especially when you thrust people that sh- don't really have any business being at training, don't necessarily want to be at training, don't have a lot of experience, then, well, they have to find some other way to f- to. Assert a position of leadership, or what their version of it is, or or dominance, or that you know I have something to teach you, and they may not. And everybody's going to react to that dynamic differently. And it's not to say that those aren't good people at all. Like Mm -mm. so, if somebody went in and looked who was working at twos in the era that you're talking about, it's not to be disparaging to anybody as an individual. It's it's much more about the culture that they're reacting to. They didn't have any. Nobody taught them how to teach or they didn't have good examples to learn from. I mean, it's not, that job is not for everybody. Yeah. It's really, it's a tough, it's a tough job, especially because you know people are going to remember those experiences for the rest of their careers and yeah. they're patterning their behaviors after what you're showing.
2: Them. Yeah, and I th- that's a great point. And I think um, I, that's one of the things that I would say, that's one of the criticisms, criticisms I will make about c- our current training model is, again, and I think there's so many great people out there But I don't think there's necessarily an appreciation for for real experience and expertise, and also to even add to that, and a a real appreciation for what it's the difference between being good at a task and what it takes to actually be able to teach that task, Mm. right? And I know I remember listening to a podcast once about somebody. a golf swing. Like somebody was trying to teach somebody how to do a golf swing. Mm. And they were like, for me to be able to teach you how to do a golf swing, I want you to try to teach that guy how to do a golf, how to have a better golf swing. And so the whole point was, is they, for, in order for you to learn how to make, have a better golf swing, you had to break it down to the point. So you understood it so well yeah. mm-hmm. that you could actually teach it to somebody else. Yeah, Cause to be able to do something and perform something and then be able to have that broken down and an understanding of such a comprehensive understanding of every. To be able to teach that and really explain it in a in a in a, in a um, successful way to somebody who has no idea what you're talking about, or com- that's a whole different level of expertise. And we're just throwing people, we just we throwing people into positions and being like, okay, you're this expert now. Yeah. And that's
0: not. It's not fair to anybody. It's not. No, especially the instructor, because they're going to have to come up with something, mm-hmm. and.
2: And then it makes people, be, yeah, it makes people friends insecure, and then course, they're in mm-hmm. a position now publicly where they. And I, you know, I, I understand that.
0: Of course. And then the people learning from them, they don't know. I mean, they're looking at the mama hen like, okay, I guess this is how you do it. And I'm just going to, this becomes the very, this this imprints this task or this behavior, this thing into my memory. And I'm just going to do it this way. This is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is. I mean, there there is a benefit sometimes to being put in that position of instruction. If you really want to learn it, you need to teach it. I mean, I I feel that way, and but you don't just take somebody and then throw them into that position of teaching without you know going without them going through it with somebody. And fortunately, you know, at our station we we do we do drills constantly. We have such a wide you know array of like tools and um, tasks that we're supposed to be able to accomplish that we just get a lot of opportunities to teach. And that's something that I tell all the new members coming into Station One is that take an opportunity as early as you can to start teaching. And that doesn't mean like, okay, teaching doesn't necessarily mean I know this thing inside and out. And now I'm going to tell you, 25-year guy, how to do it. Mm. It's 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 all about starting a conversation. It's about learning that thing for yourself so then you know the right questions to ask of the group or you know the right components to just bring up, let's talk about this or let's talk about that and have that experience be meaningful. And at the end of the day, you're the one, I mean, honestly, you're the one that's getting the most benefit mm-hmm. out of it. Because yeah. now you know it all the way front to back. And then every time you teach it, it's going to get a little bit better and better. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I think one change that TAC we've seen that's been really positive is having, you know, that Truck Ops Academy. So they're mm-hmm. getting high level tactical training um, and a mindset, like instilling a particular mindset of being, you know, aggressive and that we're here for them. And then we're here for us. I mean, we're, we've been taught for a long time or at least been told that we are the most important people on the fire ground. And that's just, thats I mean, in my opinion, that's completely wrong. Is that we are here for the people that we serve. And then it's about us. But the only way that you can, you know, successfully navigate that dynamic is to be able to assess risk accurately, which mm-hmm. just comes from knowledge and then experience, which improves judgment. But... Yeah, so going out to members that have more time on the job or have a lot of tactical experience uh, operating at fires, I like getting them into the training experience early, so they, you know, so everybody benefits. It gets it takes the pressure off the tax staff. Uh, the recruits are getting a bunch out of it, and then it more easily prepares them for that transition to twos, where the first day on the job they could be assigned search as a first in truck company at a center hall working center hallway fire with multiple rooms on fire. I mean, it's, what a concept.
2: Yeah, and that's, um, that's definitely plays into what my, another piece or a, a drum that I was beating quite a bit of training about. We have so much talent in this, in this organization, you know, and the talent is, uh, you know, mostly in EOPS and we not we don't I don't think we do a very good job of mining that talent.
0: Absolutely. And
2: I think uh, it's there and I think people want to share it. And I think I think they've been very often a lot of times when people try to put themselves out there and they work in their own time to put move something forward and then it just gets ignored or dismissed. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're like the next time you're just like, All right, well I'm not gonna try that again. <laughs> yeah. You know.
0: Uh lesson learned. <laughs> yeah, and
2: we've seen that. We've all yeah. seen it in our own, you know, on our, our own individual experiences and and that sucks. Yeah. I mean, of we course. can we can do better than that, yeah. you know. And I think one of the, you know, to you know, not to jump immediately back into the senior man piece of this, but that's I don't think we do a good job of incentivizing firefighters to to uh Have an understanding that, like, hey, you can move the needle in this bureau, and you can have impact Mm. in this bureau, even if you if you even if you don't choose to promote. Yeah. It's just like if you want to, if you you know, if you want to promote, if you want to promote, then we'll support you and we'll give you all. But if you just want to be, if you just want to stay a firefighter, then you just become this one of the masses. Yep. And you know, even to the even to the level of like, you know, when I was at my time out of training, it was so difficult to try to get just firefighters in through the door to teach things or to have Mm -hmm. to be like you know to understand it was everything always had to be an officer well that's got to be an officer no it's got to be that's got to be an officer it's got to be an officer and I just was always like why I don't understand why it has to be
0: yeah it becomes like a self licking ice cream cone if you only it's like (laughs) you say oh we're only going to have officers do these jobs and then so oh well we always have officers do these jobs so then a job comes up well it's got to be an officer because that's how we do it and then it incentivizes people who would otherwise maybe prefer to be a senior firefighter or be that senior guy in their house to promote because that is a that's really the only uh, pathway to like clear leadership that we have in our organization mm-hmm. it's like well if you want to be a leader around here you have to promote and exactly. so it just it feeds right back into that dynamic that you're talking about yeah so to backtrack a little bit when you when you left station two where where do you go from station two 25s okay yep. who were some of the guys that you were working there that you uh that were working there that you remember learning from that kind of stood out in uh, your mind
2: There was it was a lot of senior guys still around back then yeah. uh you know bob mark lyons you know the, the forest is named after him so how about <laughs> it <laughs> uh, the king yeah the king and uh you know eb and kirk and uh Greg McAvoy was there, and yeah. Steve Nichols was a captain. Bob Lemon. Bob Lemon, yep. Yeah. Pa- uh, PK, who just retired. Yeah, he was a little more checked out on his way out the door, but he to be perhaps a great fireman. And uh, there was a, there was just a lot of really good people there. Um, it was great. I really enjoyed my time there. Obviously, that's where I went back to work, and it was a great it was a great firehouse. But I think also they were one of the luckier ones that had a really strong senior senior man culture. And not, you know, I think in general, the organization had more of that maybe, you know, 18 years ago. Mm. But uh, 25s definitely had it.
0: Yeah. How? What form did it take in the firehouse, I like guess, as a, as a probie coming into 25s?
2: It was very different than the New York thing, but it, but it was there. Yeah. It was just in a different, it was, um, again, because I was, I, was, I was finishing my probation there, but I was not a 25s guy. Right, I was just the, the new guy for a while, the new probie yeah. for a while until I'm not anymore. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a level of it. But, you you, know, we've all been there. You feel you're kind of just like on the periphery. And, you know, I probably got a little more attention than most just because of my background and my age. Yeah. But I think for a normal, you know, we have see how it works. Some people, you know, some people just sit there and they just kind of go about their business and people don't really pay a lot of attention to them. And it's kind of it's kind of sad sometimes. You know, I try to reach out, and but it, now that it, I don't know, it, I always feel bad for those guys. You know, the ones who yeah. are maybe don't have the best social skills, and so they don't know how to insert themselves. But you're also trying to insert yourselves in the conversation of guys who've worked together for 15 plus years, and they know their families know each other intimately, and they're talking about all this stuff. And you're like, how the hell am I gonna? Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Where do I, I start? Yeah, yeah. Do, yeah I'll just what do you guys do for fun? Yeah, I'll just, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll just sit here and watch football. <laughs> but uh but you know it was like that it was i just i just kept my mouth shut until somebody asked me a question and yeah you know and then i talked to him and uh it just was very different so i think there's a lot and and we don't even have that as much anymore i would say where um i just think there's some challenges if we care if we really want to cultivate that and, and I wouldn't say maintain like i think we're trending in the wrong direction i'd say we have to do proactively try to like turn it around so that it's trending in the you know in the right direction as far as like cultivating and building a strong senior culture um there i just think there's some obstacles that are that i don't know how to deal with and one of them like i said was you don't get assigned a firehouse right out of training right so you have to convince people in the firehouses to take an interest in john doe jane doe firefighter even though they're not going to be a ones guy or a 25 or you know they're just going to who knows where they're going to end up yeah but to understand like hey it's really important to bring these people up the right way because it's going to make our whole organization stronger so regardless of whether or not they're going to be here for a day or for a month or maybe they'll get signed here at some point it's if we care about that then we need to all play a role in it yeah you know
0: so how does that what does that look like Uh, i mean we have such a wide variety of stations in their operational tempo in terms of so coming out of station two we we tend to send the new guys to busy houses or at least double companies where there'll be a truck and then presumably senior guys on the truck and then you're kind of like trying to create that scenario where somebody's going to be exposed to some senior members right off the bat mm-hmm. um how i mean it seems like one of the challenges of developing and maintaining that senior culture is getting just getting people experience and then to create relationships where give people a chance to prove themselves i mean that one of the things that i've noticed in my time is is that people will get a reputation, It's one thing happens. And then forever that guy's that that guy. Forever in their department. And they never get a chance to um to try again, get another shot at You're
2: it. You're thinking about hot Carlson right now, aren't you? <laughs> Dude,
0: I think I was. I think we all are. I mean who isn't thinking about he is that guy. Forever. Yeah. Uh <clears throat> Captain Carlson. Uh so it, I mean how we've got a lot of we got people siloed in like different parts of the city right and and I can see you know guys with a lot of time on the job men and women with a ton of time on this job but not necessarily a lot of operational experience and so it kind of sets up this dynamic of of like okay well if I want to contribute what is it that I'm going to contribute right if not firsthand direct experience especially when Given how much time they have, they feel like maybe I should know more, or I should know what's going on with this, or I should be able to take a new, uh, you know, a new member and say like, this is how we do it, and this is why we do it, and so this is the expectation, and I'm, and I'm going to give you everything you need to live up to it. Yeah. I mean, how do we like? How do we get to the other side of that?
2: Yeah, I I think about it a lot. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it it's funny. This subject is is uh on my mind quite a bit not just you know somebody who's been kind of been in the fire service and thinking about leaving but also raising sons i have a son who's 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 the opposite of me because he's going to be a very young officer he's in officer school you yeah. know and he's a senior so we have these conversations all the time because you know he's that he is that young officer and i am that old guy who never promoted you know he's
0: and, a, at the naval academy right? yeah, yeah he's
2: a, yeah he's going to be co- commissioning in the spring um but then also just i feel like you know, and I kind of nerd out on this stuff, so I'm not trying to go off on a tangent, but I really, really trying to understand how things have, are so different now than they were. You know, and not just in the fire service, but just in our communities at large, right? It's a big question. Big question, right? I think yeah. we're all asking it, and it's, and it's and it's kind of seeping into every aspect yeah, of our lives. Hundred percent. So to to try to have the conversation without addressing the large those larger conversations, I think we're not really doing it justice. Mm. Um, you know, and I think one of the I would say the New York and the East Coast, West Coast ethics are very different. Like the, 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 the ethics in New York, you know, people how people derive their ethics from, right? There's a lot more religions. It's like a divinity piece. But mm-hmm. if you remove that, there's there's like an ethic of community, community there in New yeah, York that's yeah. very strong. I think that's just by virtue of having like 17 million people living on top of each other. So it is drilled into you from a very young age of like nothing is about you, by the way. And if you thought it was, I'll remind you again and again, nothing is about you. Everything is about the good of the many, the group. You just have to exist that way. Mm -hmm. You have people from all over the world and everything has to be a a form of like, I'm aware of all of my actions and how they're affecting all these people because if I'm not, I'm going to get called out on it. Now, like, I feel like we've also evolved evolved on the West Coast, it's more this way, but even more so now, it's more of an ethic of autonomy, right? It's more about like, my ability to self-govern, my truth, my personal this, and I think there's, there's power in that and there's, there's value in that, right? Because we want, we want firefighters to feel, to have that autonomy and that confidence to make decisions, right? Absolutely. So, where do you strike the balance? because we've gone so far in that other way, this ethic of autonomy now just in in our community at large where it's like, we can't agree on anything that's any ethical, like we can't find any ethical common ground at all. And now we're in this place where like, I don't know if it's even possible to recreate the experience that I had when I was 24 years old. I walked into a firehouse when I was 24 and my life was taken over. Like, I mean, it was these people were like, we're not giving you a choice. Like we're gonna tell you you're gonna if you're gonna wear that patch on your head you're gonna know how to walk how to show up in this firehouse every day you're gonna you're gonna know what it looks like when you leave you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna know what how to show up at fires at ems calls you, at social functions like because you you represent us and you and you represent fdny and this is how we do business yeah great i loved it for me it was the best thing that could have happened as a 24 year old man like can't even tell you the transformation pretty much like almost everything that i'm proud of about myself it's not a lot but there's some things (laughs) are things that i learned in that in that kitchen right um i don't know if that's possible anymore because now to 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 do that that comprehensive that is a character development thing that is not a hey let me teach you how to force a door not that that stuff isn't Incredibly useful and powerful, and I have so much respect for Jason and Brax and Fook mm. and those guys and the work they've put in. They're better at it than I am. They're so much better at it. They care so much more, and I give them, I give those guys all the credit all day long. It's just not enough. If we want to, if we want to really cultivate and keep this job special, it's got to be the the character is the connective tissue between it all, you know. And and I've seen it. Like I've seen it. Like. When things go bad when things go really bad it's the people with the most character who are the ones when the dust settles out are standing there and they're saying come on kid follow me we're going this way that's who those are the ones who are there hands down yeah right it's not the guy who can do the most burpees in his gear that's not him i'm not saying there's not value in being fit but that's but if we miss if we lose that piece then all of it there's nothing holding it together you know, then it's just becomes again, and like this, this dangers and all of those things, right? It's like, if I'm, if I'm allowing my identity as a firefighter to become my, once anything becomes your identity, you've just warped your ethic, you know? Like, yeah. cause now you're opened yourself up for like moral hypocrisy, right? Cause now it's gonna be like, the most important thing is for me to maintain that identity. And now I've lost my way. Completely. No matter what, yeah. So, and again, it, that's a character issue. So if we don't have the ability to like somehow infuse that lesson into people, then I don't know how to bring, how to, how to marry those two ends of the spectrum, right? The people that are like so far down the rabbit hole of like I live and breathe fire and it is all about me yeah. to the person who you can't even get them to give a shit and get their gear on the rig. Cause they have the same job. And if we're going to, if you want to build a strong organization, <clears throat> you know, that unifies this, cause it's not enough to have a good firehouse, right? Like you have to have respect for your neighboring companies. You know, and if you and if anybody who wants to hearken the name of FDNY and the name of whatever, and you don't know that about that organization, it is the best thing and is the strongest thing about that organization is the love they have for each other and the respect they have for like, like, hey, I'm not going to run up your back because this is your job. I'm just here to support you. That's it. You know, yeah. like it's not about me. It's about you. I'm going to stand in a hallway. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to shuffle hose, or I'm going to just kind of wait out in the street and get, hand you a water bottle and you come out the door kind of thing. You know, nice job, you know, 75 or whatever, whoever it is, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now. No, no. It's it's really
0: important. But I think, I think it's, I think it's there. I think that an example that comes to mind is uh, when we do, um, when we do like a high-rise lecture at Station 2, one of the fires I talk about is, it's a mid-rise fire, but it was in the um, late, spring of 2021 at 1225 southwest alder and i came to work the following morning so it was it was super early morning on b shift i come to work on c shift and you know they're they're cleaning up from this fire oh tell me about the fire and it was a threes fire and it was almost simultaneous arrival with engine one engine three um truck three b goes inside and uh, gives a great job the irons position does an outstanding job uh, locating the fire giving a conditions report um, isolating uh, identifying where the stairs are and because threes showed up first it was their box um, they were thinking well it's appears if it's on the fifth floor so we're going to go standpipe because that's kind of what we're thinking you know fifth floor fire we're thinking standpipe and um or i'm sorry and that was engine one's thought engine three they knew that building they thought we're going to go bulk load we know we got the stairs right inside the door we're just going to stretch the bulk load up the stairs we know we can hit it from there and threes came or i'm sorry ones came up with their standpipe bundles and they said "Ah, oh, that's all good and they dropped the bundles and started helping threes stretch the line to the fire floor which is that is the job the coordination piece between those first two engines is yep. to get the first line into place and recognizing that what the important thing was in that moment which was the coordination piece and that, hey, this is your fire. What are you thinking? You may know this building. And they did. Um, they got the job done. Uh, Dusty was the, the first in chief. And I mean, he was like, if you read the after action reports, like, you know, it takes a team to score the points. Only one person gets to carry the football. It's, it's an outstanding example of, of what you're describing. And the collective time on the job from the first two engines and the first truck was like an hour and a half. They were all new people yeah you go to you go look at the roll call for that day it was all new guys so it speaks (laughs) to two things number one that they got high quality realistic training that focuses on the priorities of their job and the second piece was there wasn't that they were good relationships it's like i don't have i like we're working on this together
2: i love it that's yeah i know that fire you're talking about and i we uh i think jesse uh, reached out to me I was like hey you should listen to the radio on this fire It's really they did a really great job and yeah it was, it was awesome
0: yeah and so to zoom out then to take that as like an example of and, and you know maybe awkwardly but kind of apply it to what you're talking to it's I think that we have we all came to this job for a reason and I think most of us came to this job because we wanted to we wanted to serve our community and when we wanted to be a part of something Like most of us have experience playing on teams, you know, or some sort of group effort. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had successes in those efforts and we, you know, looking for opportunities to recreate that feeling and it's there. And I think that our instinct is to operate in that way where we're on a team, where this is something just, if we do it right, then we're participating in something that's larger than just our individual efforts. And so I, I think it's, just to go back to what you were saying, I think it's there. And I think that the, the, it's just so, it's critical that people with time on the job that have seen those successes and have that fire, that they, that they cultivate that feeling and set an example yeah. of like, this is how it can be. And it's tough. I mean, Fook sat in that chair and he was like, man, there's days like, I know they're watching. Like, I, <laughs> I want to do anything but set a good example, but I know how important it is. Is if I let off the gas for a minute, then whether I want to or not, I'm setting an example, good right. or bad, yeah, for how I how how they're going to act when they're in my seat twenty years from now.
2: Yeah, no, that's I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I I definitely don't think it's a hopeless situation. I don't, don't want to come across sure. like that. I think the I think the. uh the culture has changed to where it's harder to just... You, you can't force people anymore into doing... You know, like behaving a certain way, right? Like,
0: Shame them into work. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I do think it's important, like at the training level, it, you know, allowing and understanding... There needs to be an appreciation for... You know, every people want to... We can all agree that this is a very unique and special work environment, right? Yeah. It didn't, And it didn't happen that way by accident. You know, it, it happened that way because... Because of the experiences like that I had, you know, those people that like put themselves out there, people who made huge sacrifices, um, they built a culture and we're all standing on their shoulders and we're benefiting, right? And so it's not enough to get hired and I'd be like, oh, I'm on, I'm on the job and it's not enough. You have to, we have to, if we want to keep it, we we owe it, right? We owe a debt to actively make, to, to maintain that culture. And, and that's operational, that's in the community. That's just being leaders in the community, right? And that can that can happen in every the smallest little bullshit lift assist, there's so many opportunities. There's opportunities in the firehouse, right? Just mm-hmm. the way we relieve people. yeah. Like instead of just walking in and throwing your gear on the rig because I know I'm sitting in that seat, walk into the kitchen and say, is there anybody at a house working today? Does anybody have to go work somewhere else? Because there's going to be somebody on the back end waiting for that. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a, on an overtime shift and I'm everybody else is relieved and I'm still <laughs> sitting in the kitchen, the only guy riding, and I got to go work and relieve somebody else. Like, we shouldn't do that because yeah. that just takes one calculation of just understanding because we're not taking care of each other yeah. that way, right? Yeah. We, and yeah. like, there's all these kind of moments every day that we can just like what's a small little thing i can do to take care of the guy next to me take care of the gal next to me and that shit is contagious and that's how we keep it but i agree that people want it we all want it i think but if they you know if those and they don't even have to be older folks it doesn't even have to be like the senior man or the senior person it just you can be you can be a young guy like i i'll use a guy like tyson reed as an example tyson came in to our firehouse, and very, very smart guy. And he was a leader from a very young time. He just was, because he just had that yeah. air about him, you know. And he became a guy that I would call because I'd, I'd be like, hey, Tyson, how does this work? Hey, Tyson, because I knew that he would have the answer. And uh, and Bob Lemon would tell a story. I remember when he, you know, I don't want to get into the details because he said more than I should say <laughs> in his microphone. But when he was a young guy, those guys were all young at 25, like young, young shafer and brandon mm-hmm. horse and all those guys there was a bunch of dudes working there that were the senior guys and they didn't want to get on the rig and if they didn't want to be first in anymore and they would like be like let's take our time so that somebody else beats us in and it got to the point where those guys just had enough and they basically sat him down and said hey fuckers, like we're taking over this firehouse and they did And bob's like and we built this place the place that we're handing you. Yeah. Like we, you know, we, we made it because it was important to us. Yes. Basically don't fuck it up. It was like message received. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you touched
0: on that in that same uh, talk that you gave at the, at the USAR class. You, that was something that you said at the end too, is that this culture, this culture that we have is that, that we made this like, and, and by we, I mean all of the generations of firefighters leading up to this moment. And it's, it doesn't just happen. It's not in the rules and regs, like, what's the culture? It is something that you create and you maintain. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't take care of it, it'll die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to have your sights set on the future. And remember, remember you saying, like, you have to remember who you're working for. We don't work for the mayor. We don't work for the commissioner. We don't really work for the fire chief. And you really, I mean, you work for the person that you're called to help, and you're working for each other. That's who you're working for. And when you lose sight of like, you know, spinning out of control. And obviously the last, you know, coming up on four years, we've had lots of opportunities to get distracted from what we're doing. Uh, Why we're here, um, who's important in this room. um, And remembering that it's, it's really, it's, if, if you let it die, then it will be dead. That culture will be dead. Yeah. And trying to build it from scratch is, I think what you're saying is that once it's gone, it's gone forever. Because you don't have a model.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like uh like you I think you had mentioned you had heard Jimmy's climate versus culture kind of thing, where it's like uh the climate will be whatever the political climate is, yes. whatever the leadership could that could be like it on it and you know, just down to the level of an engine house or a covering boss that you're not jiving with, or all the way up to who's mayor or who's president or whatever. Yep and if you have a strong culture then you can weather any climate climate's mm-hmm. going to change and you got to know that you build a strong enough culture and that climate can go up and down and it doesn't change how you operate and that is definitely a, a strength that new york had is they mm-hmm. they've been through a lot mm-hmm. and yeah. they and it was like they know where the strength of that job comes from and the bosses know like the 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 chiefs the, the lieutenants captains everybody understands that culture and that senior man culture is, firehouse culture is so fucking strong that y- they don't have a choice but to work with it. Yeah. Right? Um, they want to work with it. You listen to any good officer if, and they're worth their salt and they'll tell you. they'll All day long they're just sing the praises of their senior man. That's what they want to say in their company. That's all they'll do. Yeah. I in, I'm just managing the, my talent. That's what I'm doing. And we can have that too, hundred percent. We just got to know. We just got to like the the the, yes. the light bulb's got to go off that we we already have that, and we and we just have to start talking about it more yeah. and empowering people to let them know, hey, like we we get to choose how we show up every single day for each other. We get to choose every single day how we show up for the public. That is our choice, and the only way they can take that away from us is if we give it to them. You know.
1: Right. Brilliant. You make a good point. Talking about it, what you're doing right now, I think, is going to be a big part of it. Like as I'm just sort of absorbing what you're saying, trying to reflect on your New York experience and you know my Portland experience. I don't know if this is quite the right way of saying it, but I feel like the climate here in Portland is maybe somewhat poisoning the culture a little bit. And, and it's a little. I'm not. Maybe the words may not be the right way of explaining it. But um, there's no reason why that culture cannot withstand it and and that gets stronger uh, but I, I totally get what you're saying and i think i see some of it and it's all within our our power right mm-hmm. to make it what it needs to be
0: yeah yeah 100% i mean one of the you know the <clears throat> you know one of the things you hear are like generations that you come up behind you know whether it's the cranky old dude that you're talking to or what have you it's like, it's almost a joke that you know no Generation believes that the one coming behind it is squared away, right? And it's yeah. kind of like, oh, they're, too, you know, we got it now. We're good. Look at these young people. But I'm telling you, I, I mean, I feel that way. I, feel, I mean, I look at the people that are coming up in TAC and twos and the way they're performing when given good training and when empowered to make decisions on the fire ground um, and not hammered for making mistakes, but, but being encouraged to learn from them, they are performing and they are hungry. I mean, they want to get after it. You can look all around this fire department at stations where there's new guys on a rig. There's a bunch of new guys in one rig and they're they're saying we're going to figure this out. We're going to get after it. And you know, whether you agree with like the direction that technology is going or not, I mean, who cares? If you have a culture of performance and of ownership over your work and the culture in that place that you work, then just like you're saying, uh, you know, the the climate of Portland, the climate of Portland um, will succumb to the culture of our organization, which will be much more powerful than something that than what can get thrown at it. I mean, it certainly was put to the test during COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, without a doubt there were. And, you know, frankly, I uh, Boone was down in the basement at once. He was leaving late one evening. And we were I mean, this was probably early 2021. So we weren't quite a year into Mm -hmm. COVID, but it was far enough in that, you know, with, you know, we're coming up on, all right, there's going to be a vaccine released. What's it going to mean for all the members and Mm. et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, she comes down and it was just started venting. Like, and nothing specific, but you could just tell that she was frustrated. uh, She was tired. Um, Her heart was in the game. I mean, she was all... (laughs) She was all heart. I think she truly, when she said that she cared about her people, um, I think she really cared about everybody. I think that's kind of who she was as a person. But she was, I think, overwhelmed with like, man, it seems like everybody hates each other. Like what in the world is going on? And, you know, there were a couple of us down in the basement that, you know, were talking to her and I felt. Like it was kind of odd because we didn't see a lot of that at our station. Um, we've got a big group of people on every day. You know, right. we got twelve right. members on every day, and so it's its own little like community kind of. And it's easy for us to get siloed. But um, I mean, I think that we. I mean, for us, the antidote the antidote for that that trouble was was training, was training and practicing. We have i mean we drill a lot and in drills you get with you know absent a working fire or an emergency or what have you it's the only opportunity that you get to prove yourself and prove that you're learning and getting better and developing confidence if you're in motion or if you're static you know i mean <laughs> newton said it a long time ago like objects at rest tend to stay that way yeah until something pushes on it. Mm-hmm. and Taking every opportunity that you can to train when you can, when it makes sense and it fits with your schedule, and it's a reasonable amount of training and it's meaningful. Um, it there are few opportunities for people to prove themselves short of training, and we're lucky. I mean, like we do a rope drill, and it's like if you if you screw up, somebody will get seriously injured or killed. So it's it's easy to say like, hey, we got to focus here. This is for real. Um, but even fire training, it's just I think our level like the amount that we were training or do train sort of on the regular kind of makes a positive pressure environment where that stuff doesn't tend to creep in as much Mm -hmm. and i mean i i mean i feel really you know i i feel for those companies that that were tearing themselves apart or felt like they were islands you know Mm -hmm. and and were separate from the rest of the fire department yeah um uh, but without that without that culture it's um or feeling like you're a part of something where this job has my back, this community has my back, no matter what I'm going through, um, it's, it's an uphill climb.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That actually reminds me of something that, that you said, oh God, maybe a decade ago, I don't even know where I was, maybe a 25s, but in relation to training, but when there is tension at a firehouse, the best way that all of a sudden go away, go to a job. You know, yeah. all that goes away. I mean, if you don't have the opportunity to do it in many fires you can deal with that yeah through training
0: yeah for sure.
1: yeah I mean I think it was you yeah hey, well, it sounds like you huh.
2: yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's yeah that's a, I, I believe that and I've, I know I've said that before yeah. for sure, but then if you don't have that opportunity yeah. like to your point, you can create it you don't have to wait for it. yeah yeah there's definitely ways
0: yeah so you after you know a bunch of years at 25s you went you took the driving instructor position. Mm-hmm. What was, was it, what was that all about? Why did you do that to yourself? <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a good way to phrase it. Um, well, I wanted to, uh, I mean, I'll admit, I, I the schedule, I, I was, my youngest son was having some difficulties, and we put him in a school outside of our neighborhood, and uh, so he needed to be dropped off and picked up every day, and so that schedule, I could do that. You know, yeah. and that job afforded me that. I'm super grateful that I had that and that they worked with me and let me do that i was able to leave a little early and work from home and make up that time and get him and for three years and but the day that the last day i picked him up is the the day that i was like uh, (laughs) it's done yeah it's done but i'll tell you what man i mean that just like to your guys point earlier about teaching and the, the challenge and how hard it is and it was it was very challenging you know i mean learning i'm not a good public speaker um but learning how to teach, learning how to break things down to the point where like, um, and being being comfortable in front of a group of people and having them all staring at you and yeah, oof, you know <laughs> it's a lot and it was great. It was a really good. It, it was definitely uh, it stretched my 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 brain and it forced me to do all kinds of things that I that out of my comfort zone and that's where growth happens, right? Yeah, so and I love to be on the drill ground, like being on the drill ground with the recruits. It was a blast. It's social, it's fun. Um, all that was great about it. It was just like, you know, kind of the office work stuff that really that, that wasn't a good fit for me. Yeah. But everything but I would lead like the first day I would meet the recruits and I was teaching the pumping curriculum, I would tell them. So I've spent the last 14 15 years on a truck and now I'm the guy teaching you pumping so if that gives you any indication of the organization that you're entering into I was <laughs> no, just yeah. it's a joke yeah of course but uh, but I mean it wasn't that was true yeah. so but I built a great team you know I, I thought of like who are the best engine chauffeurs that I know and then I said hey guys I started a little group chat and I was like I got to build this curriculum and and I need you guys to help me do it like what are the things that are the most important for you for so it was great. So it, it was. I'm proud of that. And, yeah. And it, you know, and that and that model is something that I tried to to implement through these different like search curriculum. We upgraded, updated the SAC search curriculum and brought in Stens and those guys, and we were able to do a lot, move the ball forward a lot with like yeah. getting the search stuff, occupancy based, and so it's been good. i I'm proud of the, my time that I spent out there. And, yeah.
0: Can you talk about the? Yeah like mental performance training that you were working on too? Or?
2: Yeah. 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 So one of the things that I kind of, you know, for myself realized, I try to think about some of the, some of the in, in, incidents that went really poorly for me personally, that like, what was it? Was it an environmental thing? And it really just came down to, I was like, no, I just kind of lost my composure. i like, what, is, yeah. what does that mean? Like, why did, why did that happen? You know? Um, and then I then I would see it out there a lot in training people just coming unglued and you're like okay stop hang on a second what's going on here you know
0: with the recruits
2: with the recruits yeah yeah. and then it kind of started i think started pieces started kind of fitting together for Mm. me and being like wow this so i saw i saw i came up with this little like one page eight and a half by eleven that i call the art of staying calm tutorial you know Mm -hmm. it was like a real real high level you know psychophysiology 101 Mm -hmm. like this is your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous system this is what happens when blah 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 and then I was uh I was kind of working on that and then I was mountain biking in Tahoe with some of my buddies from Rescue Two. Um, and they were telling me and I was mentioning for some reason I mentioned that ours thing, Comp thing and they were like, Oh, the you've met Jason before, Bresler. You know, he's he's a lieutenant with a, he was a fight now, he's I think he's back as a lieutenant. I don't know if he's a lieutenant or yeah. Where he's I think he got promoted, he might be a captain now. Anyway, at the time, he was a naval academy guy, Marsak, uh, he was a, a Marine and then he was uh, now he's in Rescue too, And uh, he started this whole mental performance initiative, which I had no idea about. And they were telling me about it. I'm like, oh, dude, it's a whole week long mm-hmm. program. And, you know, he, he's he got the full support of the department. And, like, and so I reached out to Jason and we chatted and he invited me out and I got to go last fall. And yeah, it's pretty comprehensive. He has pro- uh, professional sports mental performance coaches like the pit like the, like the Phillies there's a pit they have like a pitching coach mm-hmm. um they have all these people from the military side of things Dr. Andy Morgan who does all the he like runs Sears school and all the and the like mm. a lot of the selection for like Delta Force Green Beret guys um he was fascinating to talk to wow I mean just like the the cadre of of professors was insane yeah so yeah, it was great. I got to go out there for a week, and then I got just a bunch of information, just like that. I'm trying to put together in some kind of comprehensive program, and I'm basically handing it off to some of your guys because yeah. they're really motivated, and and I want you know they're in motion. So
0: <laughs> was that a was that a, a leadership under fire event, or was it was it that it was FDNY's yeah. MPI thing? So mm-hmm. you do, is that common that they will have members that aren't in fdny there was a few guys that weren't
2: so it's invite only jason tries to keep it he there's certain things he has to keep it a certain size yeah he can't uh he wants to be able to control who comes and who doesn't because he has limited sure resources so it's an invite only thing and he tries to invite people and this isn't this speaks again to that the difference in the he doesn't care if you're a if you're a, a a borough commander or if you're a senior chauffeur on the truck yeah. somewhere in the Bronx. He cares about if you are an influential person. Yeah. And that's who he's recruiting. And he wants and he's and he's wants people out there who who people are listening to who have the ear of the department. Yeah. And
0: respect up and down the, the chain of command. There was a lot
2: yeah. of just senior firemen out there yeah. just you know, and there were there was a borough commander. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there were all wow. kinds of all kinds of people and everybody was just there together. Then there was I was from another department. There was a couple other guys from like Connecticut, I think. So he probably meets people through different I mean he lectures all over the country and when somebody seems like a good fit, he probably invites them, yeah. I imagine, yeah. But uh yeah, it was a lot of really good content. Like it's it's, you know, what he's trying to do is exactly what what I was trying to do is this, the American Fire Service at large has done a good job of like addressing mental resiliency and like in a post incident, post traumatic way. Right. Right. And not to say that's not valuable. It certainly is. But what he's saying is like, what do you do on the front end, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, to prepare yourself, you know, to perform better at that incident. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we would all agree that probably on the back end, if you're prepared on the front end, there will be less of an impact on the back end, right? Are
0: they are they integrating that training like FDNY, are they integrating that training right off the bat when they're in probie school, or Not is yet. that something? Okay,
2: I think they might they might be moving to a model like that. They might be he might do a day out there or something with them. That might be a thing. I can't yeah. remember, um, but I know they're trying. They eventually they want it to be like standard training for everybody.
0: Yeah. So, um, can you? Can you break it down a little bit? Like, so for anybody listening to this, like, what would you recommend that they start with right off the bat?
2: Um, so there's a lot. So my idea for the whole thing I, it's was. It's big.
0: It's big. I, there's, a, I, there's a lot of components. Uh, right. It's a, yeah. it's a very deep well. So, I totally understand. Yeah, but, but
2: that's great. But my, So my idea was, I really like the, the, the idea of the, the saying, education is, it's not filling a bucket, it's lighting a fire, you know? i really i I think and i wanted to take that idea with this program so i wanted to have a condensed kind of version of something that's not too overwhelming Mm -hmm. something that you can go out to firehouse and just if if, if somebody wants it be like hey i can come out for two hours we can just talk about this and i can leave them with tons of resources for them now if you feel inspired go out and follow this thread follow Mm -hmm. this path here's books here's podcasts and just break it all down into different like psychophysiology, right? How does, just understanding the simplest things about what what is happening when we're making decisions, especially in our environment, right? The difference between classical and natural decision-making, you know, like bounded rationality, the idea of like, we don't have the ability to, we're not in a classical decision-making environment. We have limited information and limited time. So we're not looking for the optimal outcome. We're looking for a satisfactory Mm -hmm. outcome, right? Which goes back again to the training piece of, like, don't be afraid to make mistakes yes. because you're going to. Right. Like, teaching that up front takes a lot of pressure off people. Like, hey, I'm not looking for you to come up with the best. Yeah. Like, you got to come up with something that works. Yeah. That's all we're looking for. Yeah. And then you take it back. You learn from it. We talk about it. And maybe next time we'll get something that works even a little better if we're lucky, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, that simple thing. And then also, like, where, to, where do those decisions come from? You know what part of your brain? Because we all walk around thinking we're making decisions with our rational brain, and that makes up like the vast minority of decisions. <laughs> we are all instinct. Yeah. We are the elephant. Like there's a there's an idea of the mm-hmm. elephant and the rider, right? The elephant. We're just our rational brain is this little rider on top of an elephant, and the elephant's just doing what the fuck it wants to do. <laughs> and we have some control over it. Yeah. And you can train the elephant, but if you don't even know that you're on an elephant, no. <laughs> then you have no shot. No, no chance. Yeah. So first you got to know you're on an elephant, <laughs> and then you can start to train yeah. and figure it out. Right. So kind of starting there, and then getting into just basic breathing, and just you know how your breathing affects your heart rate, and what happens when your heart rate elevates. What messages that send into your brain, and your brain's like, oh, something's wrong. You're know, understanding we're the only animals that can create a sympathetic response just by thinking about something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can just keep ourselves in that state all day long if we want to. Um, and then you just become aware, like I'm going out the box tones. How am I breathing? I'm, I'm going to start practice the breathing through my nose. So I would tell the recruits all the time. Breathe through your nose, deep and slow. Get in the habit of doing that every time the tones go off so that you don't have to think about it. Remind yourself when a box comes in because that's just how you go to the rig. Mm-hmm. I just breathe through. I keep my mouth shut as long as I possibly can. Just little simple things like that are going to pay huge dividends down the road of just keeping your heart rate low. Right. And then you can get into mindset pieces and mental slides and all kinds of things. You know, Matt Coffee's done a lot of work with mm-hmm. his size up and his stuff. And um, So I don't know how to compile all this because I know when you start talking to people and, you know, the hours are stacking up, you lost them. Right. Yeah. So my idea was keep it condensed, keep it exciting. <laughs> right. And then leave them with a bunch of resources you know that they can go and study flow states and they can read about all the different you know high, yeah. high performance mental states right. that exist mm-hmm. and then people get excited about it and they just want to be better because like wait a minute this isn't just for a fire department like this is going to make me better yep. at everything everything and this is a department full of people who do cool shit. yeah you know yeah. i want to be better at music i want to be better at all kinds of things yep. i want to be a better father i want to be yeah. a better friend right. um
0: yeah the breathing piece is it's hard to overstate. Well, I mean, to go back, I think people, generally speaking, they want to know why something is important to them, and then they want actionable tools, and then if they want to dig deeper, for those that do, then the the place where they can dig deeper. I mean, I was just talking to, uh, I don't know how many years he's got on. He's probably got five or six years on, and he was at that class that you talked to, and he said the nose breathing has absolutely changed. Everything about the way I do everything. I mean, I notice it like I notice it just from like getting into an argument with my wife. Like, if I find myself like getting spun up because we've been, you know, like how many times we've gone over this one thing and I'm still wrong, uh, (laughs) that I just, I like what, what is my, what is my, what am I doing? Like, what am I feeling right now? And then just being able to just take a long, like four count in and then a long four count out, it is an absolute game changer yeah but like you said if you wait until you're operating at a fire you can't do it it has to it has to happen it has to become a a a habit yeah a pattern of behavior where you are aware of what your body's doing and then um, have something that you can go to to um, combat that sympathetic nervous response
2: yeah training it's training the elephant yeah you know and if you don't even if it's it's a simple concept but if you are not even aware of it, then you'd be just all going to be victims to just reacting, 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 and we're still going to react, but we have some control on the mm-hmm. front end of controlling when that reaction happens. That it's a re- it's a reaction that's more favorable. It's a reaction yeah. that I want rather than rather than why do I keep fucking doing the same thing? It's like well because you just you know we just, just don't understand what drives our behavior. The elephant's taking over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's just I mean this is a class that Jesus I mean. I mean, this should be taught in elementary schools. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I think one one thing, one other piece of that that you talked about in that class was, I think you called it knowing your shit. <laughs> Did I? That's step one. It sounds like a title <laughs> I would call <come> with. <laughs> that was good advice.
2: Step. I'm pretty sure I was talking to myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you if you know what you're doing, then you have the confidence to approach approach a problem. Oh, yeah. Where you're going to be able to will you'll have where you'll have a solution and then the component piece is keeping your mind calm
2: yeah that's right yeah that's right that's a good that's a good uh good reminder because if you look at the human performance curve right have you seen that that ball curve i have not so like you know the, the people who study flow states uh-huh. and high performance athletes and stuff so there's this perfect curve uh-huh. uh, and in some some of them is kind of a straight line it goes up on a 45 but uh and on one, one axis, it's like your ability, mm-hmm. right? And on the other axis, it's the complexity of the job that mm-hmm. you have in front of you. So if you, to, to, for an optimal performance space, right, you have to balance that complexity with your ability it needs to be balanced. Because if, the, if, the, if it's too complex and you don't, you're not confident, come, that's the knowing your shit part, right? If you're on the rig and you're driving, you're like, oh, fuck, this sounds like an airbag call. I don't even know where the airbags are. You know, like, and now that's all you're going to be thinking about. And now, now you're, that's where that anxiety piece, your body's, you stop breathing heavy, your heart rate goes up, you're not even listening, Mm -hmm. right? And all the things that come along with that sympathetic response, adrenaline, cortisol, you get myopic. And now I'm just thinking, everybody's looking at me and it's all about me. And I'm, now I'm out of the game. Like I'm fucking useless (laughs) at this point, right? Or the other end of that is you're too, you're too good you have too many your skills are too solid and the, the task is and then we fall into that we're bored and then we're not paying attention because we're just bored and then we do that all the time on all kinds of runs right we're just kind of like and we're missing opportunities that we maybe could actually do some real good because mm-hmm. we're just fucking bored yes um and we think we're above it so the sweet spot for that performance piece they say is like if there's a task that's like you that you perceive as being slightly beyond your ability mm-hmm. and they've even said like four percent i don't know where they got that number from but who cares but like slightly above your ability that's like that sweet performance spot because you really you're like so focused and that's like that the 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 gateway to that flow state yeah you're Mm -hmm. engaged
0: yeah i mean that's a and bresler talks about that you know one of the one of the assumptions one of the false assumptions that we operate from is that people are going to um as the stakes get higher or the complexity of a situation gets uh higher or more Mm -hmm. challenging that we're just going to, we're going to rise up to that occasion. We're just going to take everything that we know and we're going to synthesize it and integrate it together and then provide this really complex solution to this very complex problem. And it'll scale. And it's a, it's a false assumption. I mean, it doesn't take any, it doesn't take into account, um, human behavior at all, which, um, you know, high performance coaches or, you know, scientists that are looking at people behaving, um, performing at very high levels in complex environments. Um, the the opposite is actually true that that human behavior varies even more than than physical ability, especially at the highest levels. That you can I mean if you look at like Djokovic, this tennis player, mm-hmm. I mean you look at he looks like Ichabod Crane. I mean he looks like a, a human scarecrow. I mean like that really this has been the number one tennis player in the world for years and years. And he is able to, for whatever reason, uh, the skill, uh, some degree of natural ability, of course, but a skill and for us, you know, regular people, it's a skill and we should treat it like a skill is that he's able to channel his energy, manage his mind, and then perform as the stakes get higher.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that speaks back to a little bit of like what I was saying before too, there's, there's a character piece in there. There's so Mm. many things interwoven, right? Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, the guy, Andy Morgan, the, he's the doctor from the MPI, the works for the army. He talked about, they put all the different, he, 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 he mentioned a bunch of the, uh, tests that they run the candidates through who are trying to do like the green for special forces. Mm. And he talked about what they're looking for and what they're trying to identify. And so many of them, he goes, cause these are all highly motivated, highly skilled, people that like have their shit is wired tight. They're, they're not there if they're not coming correct on, you know, on, their t- on a tactical level, right? Yeah. But a lot of the tests that they're running them through are unsolvable problems. <laughs> you can't win. You, there's, there's no way to get out of it. And there was one he talked about, there was all these different <laughs> lengths of wood and they make them work in groups and they have to connect them to make a bridge. He goes, you can't solve this problem. <laughs> there's no way to do it. He goes, all we're looking for is how they start, to, how when, when things start to break down, How are they handling it? How are they? How are their their composure? Who's turning on the other people? Mm. Who is the? Who's blaming? Who's turning? And how are they dealing with the fact that there is no way out of this? There is no. There is no viable solution. Um, And I thought I thought that was fascinating, and it just reminded me of all these different instances, when these incidents that I was on, where completely fell apart in the worst way, and the wheels came off, and like people were dying, you know, and it was like who. Who were the ones who? And it was always those ones that that was the calm ones. It was the the, the ones with the most character. It was just this. It was this this un, intangible quality mm. that they had, but it was tangible because you saw it in them every single day around the firehouse, you know. And that's that's not a huge departure from what we're talking about. It's all of interrelated.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one of the. Yeah. I mean, it, it's come up you know several times in this talking to different people, but, you know, some of the qualities that Bresler identifies in uh, leaders that he's admired over the years, whether it's at the fire department or in the Marine Corps, and a consistency is right up there. We've talked about several of them, but consistency. They are the same wherever they are, in the kitchen, uh, at a fire, at an EMS call. They just have a certain level of consistency um, that keeps them from getting... Run, their minds running away with themselves, which I, I think that the, the important thing to remember is that some people have it naturally. Some people just seem to have that thing, right? And some people definitely don't. But for almost every single person, it's a skill. Like they talk about leadership, like it's a skill that you can practice, you can identify its components and you can break it down. And there's actionable tools that you can, that you can practice to get better. To get better at that thing of staying calm when things are going sideways.
2: Well, I mean, if for anybody that's listening, that's that's questions this, I will say, leadership under fire is the is Jason's podcast that you had mentioned, um, and that's Jason Bresler, uh, you, you I, FDNY. But the guests, like the first time I was exposed to that podcast, and I just looked at the guests, and I was like, Danny Murphy, Mickey Combo. I mean, people who are the yeah. when I got hired twenty. Five years ago, with them, um, they were the leaders then, you know. And these guys have spent their career working at the highest level, and I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find people with more respect and more experience that are more humble. And these guys are all completely on board with this. And like I, I, I want to say, the Mickey Combo is like, this has been missing. Yeah. Like this is I use these tools. I like I these these are phenomenal. I, he goes, I would find myself using these tools It fires like toward the end of his career, like reminding himself, oh, I can feel my heart rate going up. I'm going to start this breathing technique. Yeah, you know, and hearing a guy like like him say that <laughs> is wild. Very telling. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. and, you know.
0: Yeah, and that was one of his. Uh, you know, he talks about that. That was one of his reservations about starting the MPI. Was he was concerned. That these senior guys on the job were going to be like, "What are you talking about? We're not doing this stuff. We know yeah. what we're doing." And the most senior, the most well-respected uh, guys on the job were the ones that most, um, like, ad- you know, embraced these yeah. concepts and said because it was consistent with their experience.
2: Exactly. Like we've been using this and implementing this without even understanding without what it is. Absolutely. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was another. Um, you know thinking of it a second ago, another sort of actionable tool that, um, has been helpful for me, uh, when things are getting kind of crazy is just being able to, uh, detach. And what made me think of it was when you were talking about, uh, the, the guy, the army feller that, um, when they're giving, uh, new guys in the selection process, unsolvable problems. Mm -hmm. And, Just, and we've all seen it, whether it's a drill or, you know, you're observing your crew try and solve a problem. Is it just not, just not doing, being a part of the the effort and just watching it. I mean, you get so much, oftentimes being detached from that effort shows you what the solution is by not even being a part of trying to solve the problem. And so for me, what that looks like is, is literally just, you know, if you're in something, if you're, Uh, you know, you're trying to force a door, you're trying to, you know, get this piece of equipment together, you're trying to make this cut, whatever it is, just literally stopping and stepping back and getting your eyes up and out. And as we know, when you, when you bring your eyes up and you look out over a distance, your pupils constrict and your heart rate goes down. These are all things that work together. Your, your breathing rate, and your heart rate actually change with pupil constriction, like every time you. And it's it's imperceptible to anybody, but that is studying this sort of thing. But when you're in between heart rates, even between heartbeats, your your pupils change size, hmm. and so. When you slow your, um, when you, when you look up out of that's why it's relaxing, like being on a mountain and looking out, or you're standing on the beach, looking at the ocean is when you're up and out and your pupils are dilated, your heart rate slows proportionally. Hmm. And so being able to look up, detach, come back, um, get a little bit of space. And I'm not talking obviously like <laughs> step back 10 feet when you're on a roof right. and you're like, yeah, hey, what, what's going on with this roof cut? but To honestly just take, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds to make time, you know, take time to make it and detach from that situation and look at it and get control of your body and your mind. Then, you know, most often be like, oh, we'll do this. This is what I was missing.
2: Right. No, that's great advice. I haven't considered that. Well, in general, right, we've just talked about this at work the other day about how we never really teach anybody a training how to be. A support person, right? Every scenario it's like you're the first in engine and there's people trapped right. and there's a UFO just landed in the and, backyard. And you're the it's, officer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're the officer. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're the, the victim. You're the boss. <laughs> you're up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's that's uh there's value in that. There's a lot of value in that.
0: Yeah, I've never I mean, even at station two, I never understood why <laughs> I never understood why they would roll us into like a fire scenario in the burn room and we're the first and only engine that's going to arrive and we're we're the the officer nozzle hydrant and driver like how how can you expect anybody to make a good decision when they've never seen what one looks like
2: right and then also and then also it doesn't translate no at all it doesn't translate yeah in, yeah. in
0: any way and it, and it and it further you know distances that effort away from the coordination piece which is what you were yeah. talking about earlier but
1: I'd piggyback one thing on uh, what you were saying. Not, not an internal uh, shift to make when in, in a situation where w- whether it's going sideways or it's not quite working. Yeah. Sort, of, sort of reflecting back to something that, that Fook said um, that I've gotten better at. It's just ask somebody, ask for help. You know, we We're kind of taught to do it yourself, figure it out. But when this is a team sport... You know, to the extent that it's available, somebody's right there behind you, or somebody's going by, if you can grab somebody. From, from my point of view, that's been, been super helpful. And often, or if I'm, I'm the one that's getting asked, I'm super, not super, appreciative to maybe lend a for hand. Sure. You know, it's not like, oh, what an asshole, what yeah. a loser. I think people want to help, you know? Yeah. So that's not something that is often talked about, well, at least when I went through. It was, you didn't ask for help, you just did it yourself. Yeah. Um, anyways, that was just something that I have sort of come around to, not being um, afraid to, I guess. yeah, say, hey, Michael, I'm trying
0: to figure this thing out. Can you help me for a second? Great. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know you got to get going, Mike. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. On Thank your, you. This is th- great.
2: Yeah. i I'm, I'm flattered to be a part of it. Um, well, I'll leave one one thing I've been thinking about lately is uh, as I'm like, you know, think, planning my exit and trying to think, reflect on my time in the fire department, it seems like, you know, like we spoke a little bit about, you know, like there's been a lot of kind of vitriol and a lot of blame about leadership or the sure. community or this or that other thing. And, and, uh, and I get it. I mean, like we're all, you know, we all get frustrated. And, but something, it's really hard to feel grateful and to also at the same time simultaneously gets, get caught in this loop where you're blaming a lot of things. So, the practice that I've been really enjoying is like, thinking about like how grateful I am just that I was stumbled into this job and truly I mean it's like been the like my life turned out so much better so much better than I ever imagined it would as a young man um and I I owe it all to the fire department I mean really because even all even all of my wins outside of the fire department I still owe to the fire department and uh, you know, and my sons are doing well. And I, and again, I like I don't think I would have been able to show up for them the way I have if it wasn't for this job. And so I just keep, I, I'm going to leave this job feeling profoundly grateful and unworthy of it, honestly. Uh, and it's really hard to want to blame anybody or anything when you're in that kind of headspace. So maybe if we start being a little thinking about and counting our blessings of what we have in and, the firehouse and with each other, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and it, it gives us a little. It's 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 the same way of stepping back from that, you know, metaphorically speaking, and maybe taking a little perspective, and then, you know, and then we can. It's a good time to pivot. Maybe I don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's All right. right, it's a great way to end. Yeah, All right. yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thank we you, appreciate. guys. All right, thanks.